The book is called Craft Cocktails, Seasonally Inspired Drinks and Snacks from Our Sipping Room. It's on sale right now. You can pick it up uh, online, in bookstores, wherever wherever you buy fine books. Uh, it is written by Jeff Dillon. He's the founder of Dillon's Small Batch Distillers. He has a degree in biology and economics and is a master distiller certified by the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. Whitney Rorison is the co-writer. She's the hospitality manager at Dillon's Small Batch Distillers with a passion for spirits and cocktails. She's been involved in the business from the very beginning. Uh, welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you very much. Congratulations on the book. I have to tell you that we ordered in a case of your Negronis, mm. your little delicious bottled Negronis, uh, not long ago, and uh, and they were fantastic. Well, thank you. They were fantastic. Yeah, we're really proud of that one. Yeah, and and uh, you know the idea of having these pre-made cocktails because I think years ago, if you thought about the idea of a pre-made cocktail, you were kind of like, oh, it's going to be some crappy vodka and soda in a can mm-hmm. somewhere. But that whole world has changed now, hasn't it? Yeah, and that's, it's all about accessibility. It's getting people into more interesting cocktails. Yeah. Uh, not a 5% alcohol necessarily drink, a canned drink or something. Now we're trying to elevate it to make it one step up and, and bring people into the cocktail scene. Yeah, people mm-hmm. uh, uh, that we had over that, that had these things, they, they taste uh, absolutely like you would get in a, in a really good bar. It was a really great Negroni. So it is the king of cocktails as far as I'm concerned. So. It's my favorite cocktail. It, yeah, it is. Hands it's down. got it all, right? Mm-hmm. It's sweet. It's bitter. Mm-hmm. Packs a little bit of a punch. <laughs> and it's easy. There's three things in it. It's almost impossible to mess it up. Yep. Yeah. Gin, for red vermouth, and uh, Campari. Yeah. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Um, let's talk a little bit uh, about... Um, the book itself. You know, so a craft cocktail book, um, what are the, what are the, what, what were the uh, criteria to be included as a cocktail in the book? Oh, well for us, I mean, the book itself is, excuse me, broken out into seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, it was really just about what is in Niagara that we can use yeah. and how can we make it into a cocktail that's Delicious, but still easy to make. So anyone at home can do it and it's not overly complicated and you don't need a million ingredients. Yeah. It's not the kind of thing where you see, uh, you know, you go to cocktail bars now and they're like, yes, I made the tincture from, you know, and, and you have to have 500 ingredients. That's not what this is, right? It's supposed to be approachable Mm -hmm. and it's taking that same concept we've done with the distillery where it's taking local ingredients when they're ready, when they're fresh and turning them into unique spirits. It's taking it to that next step and doing cocktails with them. And Jeff, you got your love of cocktails and spirits from your father, right? He collected this kind of stuff. Tell me a little bit about his collection and, and the kinds of things that might have been kicking around the house when you were a kid that got you interested in this. Yeah, my dad is certainly a spirits maniac. He's, uh, <laughs> when he, he was doing his PhD at U of T here, and he was collecting scotch back then. He's never stopped. He's <laughs> 73 now, still collecting. He's got bottles from every scotch distillery wow. ever. Missing a couple, I think, still. There's a few last. Well, there's a, you can't ever have them all. <laughs> There's always got to be one more to get. Otherwise, we will get them all. Eventually. <laughs> We're working hard. Um, so I, I kind of came back from university. I'm 19, and, and it was something that we bonded over and shared a passion, cracking open some bottles of scotch and just sipping and talking about the differences. And it just ignited my passion in, in unique spirits. And 
And are you, because you have a background in biology and in uh, economy, right? I I see, you know, kind of the business side of it. You need that and the biology, I suppose that, that connects in there somewhere, but there's more to it than that. There's a passion that has to come along with this. Are you uh, a super taster? Do you know, uh, my, my wife is a super taster. Are you a super taster? Yeah, my mm-hmm. wife is a super taster. So when you say you used to sit around and drink scotch with your dad and talk about the differences, I I will not lie. I cannot tell the difference really between, so scotches would be lost on me a little bit. Sure. I am not a super taster. I don't understand, you know, that end of it. I certainly enjoy it. I don't think I'm a super taster, but I surround myself by them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Case in point, Whitney over There you go. And yeah, so super tasters, you can explain what it is. Your taste buds are longer than everybody else's. They are. That's it. And yeah. so you have literally more, um, more area for the, mm-hmm. for the, the spirit or the food or whatever, whatever to, to graze across mm-hmm. and you can taste it more. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I suppose you have no way of comparing this, but does it make a difference? I have you no idea. Know. You don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I would like to think if we're called super tasters, it would. Then you're super. We have a superpower. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about Dylan's small batch distillers. Uh, if people aren't familiar uh, with it, um, we'll, uh, Jeff, I'll start with you and then we'll, sure. we'll move over to Winnie. Tell me a little bit, what do people know, have to know about you? I mean, we are a craft distillery with the whole idea being... We are taking local ingredients, mainly local wine uh, and local grain, rye, and turning it into unique, uh, fun spirits. So we're down in Niagara. We we make a whole line of gins. We make a rye whiskey now that we're seven years old. We've got some rye on the market. We just released a Cuban rum, which is a whole new world for us this weekend, um, with a partnership with with a distillery down in Cuba. And we make some unique spirits. We do a, a sweet vermouth as well um, to allow us to make a bunch of these cocktails because that's a great uh, mixer in the bitters family. Um, and we do an aperitivo now that goes along with Negronis. So we make a whole line of spirits that are really unique and fun using local mm-hmm. stuff. And you've been involved, Whitney, since the beginning, as as it says. What what <laughs> what What's your take on the business? What, what else do people need to know? Well, I think, I mean, for years there was probably... A lot of people that were nervous and a little hesitant and leery about spirits. And um, I think what we've done with the distillery and being right in the middle of wine country um, is we're opening the doors and we're showing people how we make everything and and doing it in a really comfortable environment and having fun with it and just educating people on spirits in general, but also what we do and what makes us a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. You know, with that that local sort of seasonal handcrafted. How do you uh, come up with something like uh, a rye that you said, you know, seven years old now, you can release it. You're not making money on it while it's sitting there, Mm -mm. you know. So that, I I suppose, is the challenge with any new kind of spirit that you might – introduce into the marketplace is that you can't make it on Monday and sell it on Tuesday. Yeah. The funny thing with spirits, there's, it's this giant gap of anything that's clear we can make in about two weeks. Oh. Start to finish. Anything mm-hmm. that has. So you want to sell a lot of gin. We became a gin company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, mm-hmm. my dream was never to be a pure gin company. Right. Which we're not necessarily, we are, but we're, most people know us for gin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
Uh, it was, it's amazing that it took off and it's the most fun spirit to make. So I would never complain. <laughs> I love gin and it's amazing for cocktails, of course. Mm-hmm. But the whole dream behind it was to do rye whiskey. It just takes a long time. And there's two ways of doing it. You can age it yourself and wait, or you can buy already aged mm. spirit, which is pretty common. Of course, what we're doing is aging it ourselves, doing a hundred percent Ontario rye grain, simple concepts to, uh, two pot stills. So we're double distilling it like you would a, a great scotch or a great bourbon and aging it in full-size barrels in our warehouse. Uh, and there, there must be checks and balances all the way along because, you know, you make it and then, you know, seven years later, you're like, it is finally done and you taste it. It's like, oh, it's awful. We've wasted seven years. <laughs> imagine. Yeah, can you imagine? Whoa. So there's got to be checks and balances all the way along, right? Somewhat, but honestly, like you're sweating the whole time. You don't know. Is that you really right? You don't know. Yeah. Like you make mm-hmm. When you have it white, yeah. we, we did a white rye at the very beginning, the first stuff that came off the still. I don't know that I understand what white rye is. So it was, it's unaged whiskey. Uh-huh. It comes uh-huh. off the still white before it goes into a barrel, it's clear. Oh, I uh, see. And, and yeah, and it picks up its color from the from the barrel. It's supposed to, yes. Right, right, right. In Canada, you were allowed to add coloring, caramel right. coloring and flavoring and stuff, but if, yeah. Um, so white whiskey is 100% of that flavor is coming from your ingredients, from your grain. Right. We're uh, an 18-year-old scotch, maybe... 5% is coming from the grain, 95 is coming from sitting in that barrel for 18 years, mm-hmm. which is, of course, awesome. But, yeah. but a, a white whiskey, you're showing off your ingredients. And that was a big thing for us is to always show off what we're doing here. Right. Yeah. And where do you get the barrels? We, uh, that's one of the, the one thing we play with. We, got, we have one recipe. It's 100% Ontario rye. And the barrels are what we play with. So we have first fill bourbon barrels with all the scotch whiskeys aged in. We have new American oak barrels uh, with, all the, with all the bourbons aged in. We have uh, Hungarian oak. We have cherry barrels. We have everything we can get. Canadian oak. And the coolest ones, of course, are Ontario oak barrels. We've got a cardiologist who just retired up in St. George, and he'll create these amazing local barrels for us. Oh, wow. Jim. Jim. Jim, Jim, the barrel maker. And Dr. Dr. Jim, right? Dr. Jim. Dr. Jim. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I guess the idea behind these barrels and things is that they become the legacy, right? You want to use these for 100 years, don't you? Yeah. Ultimately, like the company, I mean, I'm sure there's barrels of scotch sitting there somewhere that are in kegs that are or barrels that are a hundred years old. And that's the idea to get them, you know, uh, aged and, and does that add flavor to it or am I wrong about that? Yeah, but there is definitely like a, there's a drop off point, 20, 25 years is oh, kind yeah. of usually as far as you'd ever want to go, depending on the barrel. If you've used it five times before, there's less life in the barrel, so you can go longer. Right. Yeah. Aging's a whole, and then temperature of aging. There's, there's so many different factors that go into aging that are, it's just, it's, it's a complicated game. Yeah. It's more than I, I ever realized. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it should be fairly simple, but it's nothing. put it in the barrel, yeah. Yeah. Put it in the barrel it. and you wait. cross your fingers yeah. and hope. Yeah. yeah. But then it, once you release your rye and it's 10 different barrels of three different types of oak. Right. It's called our three oaks. And you have to, and it's amazing. And then you have to make the next next batch. Right. Now it's different barrels and you have to try to create that again and then again and again. And it, that, it, it gets complicated. Can the taste of cocktails be judged objectively? You know, uh, there are, as we've established earlier, Whitney's a super taster. So you're, you're tasting them a little differently probably than I would. So, you know, is it just a matter of personal taste? So, you know, a bit more grenadine for me, maybe less for you? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think that's sometimes where the challenge comes in with making cocktails. But I think, you know, they're all fantastic and everyone is going to take away different things right. from the cocktails. But... Yeah. yeah. At, at the end of the day, you're still trying to balance 
savory, sweet. You're trying to balance all your yeah. senses. So it's kind yeah. of like it, uh, so. I bartended for about 17 years, but oh, a very wow. long time ago. I did it for a long time, but you know, I was slinging beers and making rum and cokes is what I was doing mostly, mm-hmm. uh, because that's what we did. I know how to make old school cocktails because uh, I, st- I started bartending probably in about 1980, and uh, you know, you still had to know how to make a sidecar and a brandy mm-hmm. Alexander because people would still order them, and then those drinks completely fell off and just disappeared. Now, they've made a renaissance, and perhaps we'll talk about why cocktail culture has made a renaissance. But I did it for a very long time, and it has changed completely now. I mean, now to be a bartender, uh, you have to have a lot more in your arsenal than I ever could have dreamed of of having uh, to do. Why is it, do you think, that cocktail culture has made this big comeback? It's a great question, and and I can't say that I predicted it or was yeah. when we started the distillery it was I thought our, our market would be consumers the LCBO our own store right. and it was the mm-hmm. bars that were reaching out it was the two of us driving into Toronto every Thursday once <laughs> one day a week trying to hit as many of the people <laughs> that have contacted us like before we even opened wow and just yeah they're so excited about something new like the, the bar scene had just taken on craft stuff cocktails and spirits like like I couldn't believe and that that has been our marketing for this entire seven years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. Those are the people that have been supporting us and, and getting our name out there. Well, it, it's funny because all of a sudden bartenders became mixologists, which was sort of like the idea was that they were kind of like chefs. You know, it's a different mm-hmm. thing. And, and what you were saying and what made me think about this is that when you're making a cocktail, you're, you're doing what chefs do. You're balancing sweet with savory and salty and with bitter. whatever and yep. bitter, whatever it is. You, you have to find a balance of, of, of taste. So let's specifically get into uh, how you created the cocktails here. Are, these aren't all new cocktails, but they are a different spin on some cocktails that you might Absolutely. have known. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely the classics in there. We couldn't. You know, not have a Manhattan, yeah, yeah. not have a martini in there. Um, some of them are, yeah, just spins on classics where we're incorporating, again, local, seasonal, yep. um, our spirits, of course. Um, and then some are ones that we've created over the years when we've done events or had... Yeah, because cocktail every, competitions, all that sort of stuff. Everything you go to now has a, a signature cocktail. Every event you go to, yeah. Absolutely, and, and that was our thing, was we tried, and we still try, even, you know, seven years in, to never, when we go to an event, never repeat cocktails. Right. To do something different every time. And how do you create a cocktail? I mean, is it just as simple as sitting down with, you know, a, a bunch of booze and some mixes and, and, and just trial and error until you find something that tastes great. I mean, that's kind of the point of the book is the yeah. starting, the start is what's fresh, what's local, what can we, what right. can we grab right now and, and, and go from there and just sit down and, and start mixing. It sounds fun. It is. It is fun. Yeah. It was not a hard thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Whitney, tell me about one of the original cocktails in the book. There is... Probably my favorite cocktail in the book is in the fall um, section. It's a spiced pear fizz. Um, It's with gin. Yeah. We did a rosemary and clove syrup, so like perfect fall flavors. And local Bartlett pears. Um, I think when we first opened, you, Jeff, went out with Barry and Leslie, our designers and our brand um, folks, and picked 
pairs. Mm -hmm. And I think they came back and it was like, what are we going to do with this? What can we do? Um, So you can puree the pears or you can juice them. You can use pear juice. And it's just the perfect combination of spirit and fall. And Jeff, for you, which, which is your favorite of the new ones? Oh, I was, I was going to say Manhattan, but... Um, oh, well, it, what makes a Manhattan different? <laughs> well, oh, it, we have a classic Manhattan. Yeah. Which, what makes it different is we created everything from scratch, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that was, the dream was to someday get to be able to make my own Manhattan. Mm. And after years of aging whiskey, well, building a distillery and aging yeah, whiskey, yeah. creating <laughs> sweet vermouth, like, and Manhattan bitters were finally there. And to be able to combine those three and make the classic cocktail with a real rye is like, that's the most proud moment for me. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, so Negroni's king of cocktails, obviously for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, also I love a Bloody Mary. I like Bloody Mary's. Oh yeah. 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 And I was recently in Paris and I went to Harry's New York bar where the Bloody Mary was invented and I thought, whatever, tourist trap, I'll go in. It's not only an awesome bar, but honestly they're better there than anywhere else in the world no because they've been making them for a hundred years. Yeah. And, and, uh, there was a little trick, the bartender who was wearing a little white jacket. I always think I like that cause it looks like they're wearing a lab coat or something. <laughs> right. And so he puts the booze in, puts the spices in, puts an ice cube in and then rolls it between his hands like this for okay. what seemed like forever. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, that's kind of, you know, it's a little flourish, whatever puts in the tomato juice, tried it. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the rolling actually does anything, but I've started doing it at home now. And in yeah, my you're head, convinced it makes everything head, taste better. Yeah, it does. It makes everything <laughs> taste delicious. Presentation is everything. Presentation mm-hmm. is everything. And, uh, and you know, there's signs, you know, up, there's newspaper articles from the New York Times saying, this is the home of the Bloody Mary. So it gets in your head. Mm-hmm. It's branding and marketing and delicious drinks. It's genius. What are the ingredients that every home bartender needs to have? When you go out now, uh, it seems that all bars have like little eyedroppers and tinctures and all that kind of stuff. And the bartenders are tasting the drink before they send it out to you and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, you don't want to be that fussy at home probably, right? So maybe you do. No, 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 I don't. No, 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 I don't either. I, no. So what does, what are the ingredients that everybody needs to have at home? Um, I think at home you want to make sure you've got... You know, a couple of, of go-to spirits. You yep. want some gins. You want some vodkas. You want a nice rye, something aged. Um, bitters. Get the bitters all the time. Yeah. You know, have a good classic aromatic style. Get something that's a little bit more fun and unique, like pear or And you, know, you can ginger. get them everywhere now. That's the thing. I mean, these things aren't impossible to get because I know that, that you guys at Dylan's make a lot of this stuff and you can order it, uh, uh online from you, right? That's absolutely. how we got the Negronis. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And a case. Now, do you have to order, we ordered a case. Do you have to, do you have to order in no. large no. quantities? No. One no. bottle if you want. Really? We'll ship you one bottle. That's exciting. We will. Shipping yeah. might we be will. exorbitant, but. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to cost you $9,000, but. Yeah. No. Uh, Jeff, what, what do you think uh, in your home bar, which is probably, uh, I would guess, a little more elaborate than other people's, but you never know. What do you have to have? For me, like bitters, I know we just talked about them, but they add so much depth, so much com- complexity to a cocktail. And if you have a few flavors, you can make a, a gin and tonic and then splash in cranberry bitters. Yeah. And you can create that completely different cocktail. It's so simple, 
yet it's so overlooked a lot of the time in home bars. So it's such an easy way to, to elevate your cocktail and to, uh, and to balance out your bitterness with your sweetness. And yeah, bitters, simple, easy, yeah. throw them in your bar, mm-hmm. play with them. And a couple tools, you know, a jigger, yeah. Yeah. a shaker, mixing glass kind of thing. But you don't need, you don't need all the crazy tools. You can yeah. keep it simple. A couple nice glasses. So it looks glasses. Cool. Glasses are my thing. I love yeah. fun, vintage yeah. And glasses. Yeah, so as do we. We have a lot of barware at home uh, that we've just picked up. And the fun thing about it is you, you know, you pick them up at vintage stores and that kind of thing. I guess maybe they fell out of fashion for a while. I don't know. But we seem to be able to find like the coolest, uh, you know, champagne glasses and things for next to nothing. Oh, so yeah. We have That's, a lot of that stuff. My, my mother's... Semi full time job now is traveling around to Goodwills and to all those stores. She curates. She curates her glassware, brings it into the, yeah. the sipping room, and we have shelves full of oh, that's fifty awesome. cents and uh, you know, you know, a glass. Wow! And everyone loves it. Yeah, you know, and sure, some of them match and some of them don't, and. That's I think matching great. is overrated. Me too. Yeah, matching is way overrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a like a philosophy? Uh, in terms of of Dylan's and and your the 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 philosophy of the of the company, the word we always go back to is authentic. Mm. Like I love, for us, it's we want people to ask questions. What we're what we're doing, how we're doing it, where we're getting our stuff. The deeper people dive, usually the better it gets, because we think we're doing stuff the way we want to, and we think we're doing it right. Yeah, yeah, so authenticity. And. This is, I mean, something that as yeah. the as the hospitality manager, it must be something you talk to customers about often. We do, we do. We share the story um, of of what we're making and where we come from and where everything that <clears throat> yeah. we make comes from, um, and it's something that they connect to. Right. You know, if we can share the story of the farmers that we're getting ingredients from, or or. You, pop outside the sipping room and you can go into the garden and that's the wormwood that we make our absinthe with. Right. That whole making everyone feel like they're part of it um, is a big thing for us. And absinthe, how much absinthe do you sell? I mean, you don't have to give me numbers, but uh, but, uh, how much absinthe do you sell? Because, you know, it's a tricky process to actually just enjoy a a glass of absinthe. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to drain it or, or strain it through a sugar cube and there's all sorts water of, there's and, water yeah. and there's all sorts of work to do uh, to get it done. And for years, you weren't allowed to sell absinthe with wormwood in it, which is the kind of hallucinogenic cut your ear off part of absinthe, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Theoretically, yes. It has uh, not been proven to be hallucinogenic. No, but, but, yeah. n- but now you can use it, I guess, right? Yes. Back in um, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago now. It was um, it was illegal in both the U.S. and Canada to have absinthe with wormwood absinthium in it with the, right. the compound thujone, and they've re-legalized it. They just um, put in at one um, a level of thujone that's allowable, I right? Thirty milligrams a, a liter. My units might be off, but it's yeah. thirty of some specific unit. Right. We do we grow our own wormwood absinthium at the distillery. We use only that. We, we do it twice a year when the wormwood is ready to harvest. And we do a traditional European recipe with our own little twist on it, but the full amount of wormwood you would in any European recipe. LCBO tests every batch for thujone. Uh, they've never told us how much thujone's in it. Right. I'm not positive they know how to test it, but they always, they, they, <laughs> they always say it passes. So yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a real wormwood using, sorry, a real absinthe using our actual fresh wormwood. 
absinthe is uh, uh, again something that must be um, uh, sort of just like a, 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 a niche market for you, but like kind of a cool one, right? You want to mm. be able to offer stuff that you're not being, that's not being sold absolutely everywhere. And it's great in lots of cocktails, right? Mm-hmm. Absinthe rinse or, or a spritz on top, mm-hmm. uh, like Sazerac and um, Corpse Survivor. Corpse Survivor number, number two, two, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and wormwood grows like a weed here. Like it's the, we are the perfect environment for it. Our garden is like we have way more wormwood than we could ever use. Is that right? Yeah, yeah we're trying to give it away. <laughs> um, we can't give enough of it away. <laughs> Come get some breweries right now to do something <laughs> fun with. Um, yeah, but absinthe. It's such a fun one, and and. It's not really that hard to drink. It's with the fountain and, and all that stuff. Yeah. It seems complicated, but you're literally just, you're taking cold water and pouring it in, right? Yeah. Like you could have a glass and just put in ice cold water and fill it up until it louches and it's ready to drink. I have a, I have a fountain, an absinthe fountain at home that I bought simply because it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I've never they used are it. beautiful. I've never used it, <laughs> no. but I just, I, I loved it. It was a vintage old, it was an old one and I saw it and uh, just bang, bought it straight away. And I wasn't, I mean, I knew what it was and I knew sort of essentially how to use it, but I've never actually used it, but it sits in my living room and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, if they I, are beautiful. Yeah. If I'm giving a tour and I need to kick it up a level, that's where I go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I grab that fountain, bring it over, and then we talk through the the, the cloud of uh, anethol coming out of solution as yeah. the water hits, and, the, and it's you know it's ten minutes, and it's so much fun, and people leave going, I want an absinthe fountain. Yeah, like you yeah, can't, yeah. and it's, it's just cold mm-hmm. water. But. Well, it's something that you don't see very often, mm-hmm. you know, anymore. I mean, I'm so I suppose there was a time when every bar had to have one, but then absinthe was uh, I don't know if it was illegal, but you couldn't get decent absinthe for yep. so long that it just fell out of fell out of fashion. And then it became, you light it on fire. Yeah. And then you kind of just burn away the flavors and the alcohol. Which yeah. Is, and now we're back, I think. Yeah. People are respecting it again and getting their fountains. Well, I think that people have uh, a different understanding and, and a, a, a different kind of uh, relationship with the stuff that they're drinking now. Again, you know, I told you I was a bartender for a long time, but when I started bartending, uh, Places had red or white wine. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't come in and say, well, I'd like, uh, give me your wine list. Where it's like, here it is, red or white. <laughs> That's what we have. Which would you like, you know? And so things have changed a great deal. And, and, and people's relationship with the idea of what they're drinking, uh, I think that it has become more akin to uh, food. People are very aware of the food that they're eating mm-hmm. and and cocktails for years. I mean, there were, obviously people would have some discerning tastes about them, but the idea what they were just something to go with food or something to, 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 you know, after work, after a long day at work, I'm going to have one. I think that's changed now. So I did a, a little <laughs> bit of uh, research looking into this and the top cocktail in the world, according to the people that uh, look at this kind of thing. Great cocktails. Is the old fashioned. Oh. Yeah, it has remained the champion for the fifth year in a row. Uh, the American classic is made by muddling a sugar cube with Angostura bitters, then adding bourbon and rye, a few dashes of water, and finished with a citrus rind. Uh, the second cocktail, most popular in the world, is the Negroni, yes. as we've talked about yes. uh, from time to time. <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. Yeah. What's Perfect. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's an old-fashioned in here. There's a, 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 a riff. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the riff? What's the difference? We put a little pumpkin spice in it. Really? <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and so that's for fall. I'm that's guessing. for fall. It's sort of a Halloween yeah. cocktail. And, and <laughs> uh, how do you come across, where, where, did you have a pumpkin spice coffee somewhere? And you're like, you know, this would be fantastic. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We might have. Yeah. That might have been the inspiration. But no, I, it was just, you know, to do a fun kind of spin right. on a classic. But maybe we should have left it alone. That it's the number one. Well, maybe cocktail. maybe there'll be a new number one. Maybe <laughs> a pumpkin spice old fashioned. <laughs> uh, what cocktail trend would you like to see disappear? Mm. <laughs> Is there something out there? You know, I you know I I, I would like to mm. see in bars. I would like to see. Uh, the idea that bartenders are going to taste my drink in front of me before serving it to me. You don't like that. I don't like it. Mm. I, uh, I don't like it. And I mean, I know that uh, kitchen staff are touching my food in ways that I probably don't, you know, I wouldn't love. If I worked in restaurants and bars, I know exactly what goes on in kitchens, right? Sure. Uh, and, and I know it, but I don't, don't have to look it. at it. I don't see it. And, and I don't know. You know, the idea of them sticking a straw in, putting their finger over the straw and sipping it, throwing the straw away. And then, I don't know, I, 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 you seem surprised that I don't like it, but I don't. It kind of irritates me. I love it. Do you? Yeah. I, and, I and, and why is that? It just, it Win seems, me over. A lot of the time when I made a cocktail, I, until you sip it, I don't know how well I've made it. Mm. And granted, if they're a, bar, a bartender and they've been doing that cocktail for a long time, they should have their ratings yes. right and, and be dialed in. But mm -hmm. for me, it just... They, it's that last step. They're making sure it's a good cocktail. They're not putting the straw back in, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like to think that they've sipped that and they're really thinking about whether it's right or not. Yeah, I mean, they they're taking the time to to make sure that what they are giving you is perfect. Although I think at some in some bar programs they have to do that. So yeah. you do that. They're not thinking about anything. You throw the straw away and the cocktail's done. They're doing it because they have to do it. Well, see, and that's, that. this is more and more what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I'm, uh, uh, you know, if, listen, if I'm in a, a craft cocktail bar, I'll give it a pass, maybe, possibly, maybe I'll give it a pass. <laughs> okay. But if I'm at like a chain restaurant and they're oh, sticking sure. their straw into my say, Bloody it, it Mary, I'm like, yeah, you are come too, on though. now. Yeah. <laughs> come the, on. Bloody yeah. Mary mix from the, the that's tap right, yeah. they're, they're tasting it. Yeah. Yeah, probably not necessary. Yeah, maybe that's the you know the, the, when I when I think about stuff uh, that I would like to see gone, uh, that that's one of them. Juices on tap mm -hmm. for uh, cocktails and that sort of thing. How hard can it possibly be to have fresh juices or you know something that's a little bit more high quality? There's fresh juice being delivered all over the city every yep. day. You know? Yeah, you just have to call. And so. Uh, what other, uh, other than the Negronis in the bottle, do you have other cocktails in the bottle at Dylan's? Not yet. We wanted to start with the Negroni because it's our favorite. Yeah. Um, and because it, like the Negroni is so cool because it's, we legitimately make gin yeah. from scratch, make an aperitivo from scratch and make a sweet vermouth right. from scratch, all three separate, take a thousand liters of each, put it into a big tank and then we're basically doing a 10 second stir in a mixing glass, which would yeah, be yeah. a 20 to 25% dilution. Bring it so that brings it down to to eighteen point four percent, and then we bottle it. Like it's it's so cool. We're actually making a giant Negroni. Yeah, it's not yeah. just the recipe mm -hmm. all together and making one thing. It's like we actually had to make everything separate and put together. So that one, because we made those three things separate, was so much fun to put into a, into a bottle. And I think it, it's difficult to put in bottle because you have to make so many different parts. Right. Next up, we'll we'll probably put a couple more in. Yeah. Um, probably Manhattan. Ooh. Yeah, and keep in that Dry. sort of like yeah. stirred 
cocktail right. world. Yeah, we're not doing the five percent, you know, fake flavor. Yeah, RTD in the can. Yeah, RTD is the uh, that's ready to drink. Ready, ready to, to drink. drink. Yeah, yeah. RTD. RTD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when you're the hospitality manager at Dylan Small Batch Distillers, Whitney, what do people ask when they come in? What's the oh first gosh. question that people ask you? What do we make? Yeah. Is there wine here? No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I mean, I think we get such a great mix of, of visitors in that are, they've heard of us before or they've, right. you know, been in the city and had a cocktail and had no idea that we were only an hour away. Right. Um, so we have people that have never heard of us, people that have heard of us that have had our stuff before and they're looking for something new and different um, because you can purchase some of our spirits at the LCBO, but a lot of what we do that's in smaller batches, you're only going to get at the distillery. Um, so some are looking for very specific things and some are stumbling upon us and know nothing about us and nothing about spirits. And right. that's the fun part for us is kind of just doing that whole education teaching people about spirits. Um, but then there's some people that come in and they know what they want. Yeah. They want their case of Negroni and yeah. they're out the door. <laughs> <laughs> How big a part of your business, Jeff, is the LCBO, the Liquor Control Board? This is, shows heard across the country, so it's, uh, it's, not, it's not the LCBO everywhere in the country, but, right. but the, the, you know, the big government-run liquor stores. How big a part of that? Or do you not need that in terms of... of of uh, the amount of booze that you sell, because you can sell it from your distillery. We can, but to stay alive, we need the LCBO and the yeah. liquor boards, the BC liquor board, the Alberta liquor board. We need, we need, we need them uh, supporting us to to stay alive for sure. Yeah. They're about eighty percent of our total business. Uh, even though we we have our store with exclusive stuff and mm-hmm. our online store, it's still they're just a behemoth. Like there, there's a lot of stores out there, and a lot of people in those stores looking at what to buy. We need to be on those shelves. You often hear uh, people talk about small brewers, uh, talk about the difficulty of working with them uh, because you have to generate a certain amount of product and all that kind of thing. Were there any challenges for you? You know what? They, from the very start, 2013, they, we met with them. There was no other craft distilling in the LCBO. Um, They'd seen what was going on around the world and we were new in Ontario and they were ready to to reach out and start working the craft scene. So they supported us from the very beginning. They took all three things that we, we only made three spirits at the time, yeah, yeah. a white rye, a vodka, and a, and a gin. They took all three over the next year, year and a half, and put them on the shelf, and we became you know, the first kind of real craft distillery in the LCBO. So they've been really, they've been good to work with for sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting when I uh, go, my brother lives in Nova Scotia and I'm from Nova Scotia originally, there are distilleries and breweries popping up down there on every corner. Mm-hmm. And part of it uh, is that uh, the fishing industry, you know, fell apart, the the lumbering industry kind of fell apart and people were thinking, what can we do? What, but you can grow stuff down there. So let's, you know, and, and they're doing well and they're creating really, really interesting booze. They're creating really interesting spirits. And it's kind of heartening to see that this kind of, you know, uh, old, uh, and and old fashioned 
I, I mean, no slight of it, but this old-fashioned, like, the, let's make something mm-hmm. that people will enjoy from something we can grow in our backyard yeah. uh, is is uh, kind of a you know, in a in an increasingly more complicated world. I think it's a it's a really lovely thing. It's a lovely kind of touchstone, and it feels really organic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's a value add to an agricultural product. Right? Mm-hmm. We're taking extra, like our our new peach schnapps is. There was a hailstorm last summer in Niagara. All the peaches, all the the, uh, the plums, the pears got dinged. As they, grew, as they grew bigger, they had a bruise on them. They were all going to be thrown out. So we grabbed dump trucks worth of peaches and s- squeezed them and turned them into a really cool Niagara peach schnapps. And we mm-hmm. just came out with the plum schnapps as well. Like we're taking agricultural stuff down there and adding value to it that, that's going to be wasted anyway. That, they were just going to throw them away. Because there's, there were so many. Yeah. Normally some get tossed anyway. Yeah. But there's a lot of grade Bs that go for juicing but they can only take so much. Yeah. When you have four dump trucks a day of bruised right. peaches. It's a lot of peaches. It's a lot of peaches down there. Peach and, country. And, and uh, uh, did you ever think you'd be making peach knobs? That was probably just uh, like, hey, now wait a minute, we can probably <laughs> do something with this. No, a farmer shoots you a text, a call or an email, and you're like, oh, we got to move. I yeah. guess I, I, as, a, as a, a, a small to medium business, I guess you have to be nimble in that way, mm-hmm. right? Which can be tough, but yes, we do. The nice thing with spirits is alcohol kills bacteria. You're not, it's not like a beer or wine right. where you're worried about it going off. As long as we can distill something, we can keep it fresh right. basically forever. We just need to, to get it into our stills and turn the heat on and boil it. Then we're good. I'm in conversation with Jeff Dillon. He is the uh, founder of Dillon's Small Batch Distillers and Whitney Rorison. Uh, she's the hospitality I can't say that word. I've done it twice now. Hospitality <laughs> manager at Dylan's Small Batch Distilleries. They're also uh, the co-authors of Craft Cocktails, seasonally inspired drinks and snacks from our sipping room. Uh, thanks so much uh, for coming by to tell us about this. Um, fascinating stuff. You can find uh, the book wherever you buy uh, fine cookbooks and books in general online or in brick and mortar stores. And you can find it at uh, Dylan's Small Batch Distillers. And where exactly are you? We are in Twenty Valley down in Niagara, Ontario. And people can find you there or find you online Absolutely. and uh, mm-hmm. order the book and a case of Negronis to go with it. Thanks right. so much. Thank you. Thank you for thanks having us. Thanks for having us. My thanks to uh, Robert Turner on the board and my thanks most of all to you for listening. We'll talk again next week.